Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Open up your Bibles, please, to Titus, the first chapter. Titus chapter 1, that's where we're going to begin. And I just really, really, really need to urge you to crank a Bible open, be looking at Titus chapter 1, and then look at all the other passages that we're going to be reading and talking and discussing this evening. If you don't do that, then that's going to hinder your attention. That's going to hinder your comprehension. So let's all get together and read together and study together, beginning in Titus chapter 1 here in just a moment. It is great to see you tonight. So glad that you're here. We've got a good number. And once again, we do have guests in attendance. Appreciate so much your presence tonight. I'm just glad that you've made the decision, whether you're a guest or whether you're a member, you chose to be here tonight and be involved in this second period of worship here today at Lakeside. That's an encouragement to me personally. More importantly, though, that honors and that pleases the Lord. This evening, I am beginning a series of lessons that, I must tell you, I have been wanting to put together and have been wanting to preach, really for the last five plus years here at Lakeside. Six weeks ago, our brother Phil Morgan came down from Indiana and he presented to us a series of lessons on local church leadership, and those lessons, I do believe, had their desired and intended effect. Because the seed was planted and planted in a very capable way to get us thinking in the direction of what it means for a church to have elders. And so with the uh, kind of the backing and the approval of the brethren here, I now set about the task of trying to follow up Phil's series of lessons with my own series of lessons on what it is to shepherd the flock of God. And while the lessons that Phil presented uh, back in October, they were all powerful and applicable in their own right, and certainly I'm probably going to say some stuff that Phil said during those six six lessons, Uh, you should know and you should remember that Phil was speaking to us as an outsider. And what that means is, is that means that there's really only so much that a visiting preacher is going to be able to say, because number one, he just doesn't know all of the needs of the local congregation. Certainly he knew some of those things, that's why we invited him to come and preach on that, but he doesn't know everybody. And quite frankly, we as a congregation, we don't know him that well. For us to be able to listen to him and him be able to speak in such a way that it's raw and it's candid when it needs to be, he can't maybe talk in the same way that the local guy can. The guy who is here week in and week out and I'm laboring amongst you and I know you and you know me. And so tonight I say that to tell you, brace yourselves. Because I'm not going to pull any punches. I do intend, especially in this first lesson, I intend to be very, very direct in addressing the state of this congregation. And as always, I want you to know that everything that I'll say tonight and throughout the remainder of this series and any time that I get up here, I say it in the spirit of love. I love so very much this spiritual family here at Lakeside. Tiffany and I, our lives have been enriched so very much during the last five years, being amongst you and the friendships that we've developed and the growth that the Lord has blessed us to see in our lives personally and the growth that we've seen uh, congregationally. I love you all and I wouldn't trade you for anything. I wouldn't even trade you for a, a lifetime supply of Mountain Dew. Well, I don't know, maybe, no, I wouldn't do that. I, I love you that much. And so I want us, and I think that you want us, to be everything that God desires for us to be, to His praise and to His glory and to the upbuilding of His kingdom. And so, with all of that said, read with me please in Titus the first chapter. This is verse number 4. In Titus chapter 1, in verse 4, Paul says to Titus, My true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, 
so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. I want you to imagine, if you will, a couple of different hypothetical scenarios. And we're going to use, to kind of develop these two scenarios, let's use the church building by way of illustration. I talked a little bit about the church building this morning, so we'll kind of keep going with that. Think about this church building. Imagine if we were to arrive here at this church building next Sunday morning for worship, And some folks start to come in the doors and somebody starts to walk into the auditorium and somebody notices that right there, right there in the middle of the aisle, big and clear as day, there's a big giant stain right there on the carpet. And from the looks of it, that's about where David Hatfield's sitting. So we're going to blame David Hatfield for that big old stain, unsightly, ugly, big old stain right there on the carpet. Now, we see that on the floor, we're probably going to want to do something about that, right? I'm not going to want to just leave that unattended. going to want to probably get around to doing something about that. And so maybe somebody says, hey, does somebody have a carpet cleaner that we could bring in here this afternoon? Does somebody know one of you know grandma's old home remedies for getting stains out of fabric? Does anybody have any ideas? Because we want to make sure we get this stain taken care of. That's scenario number one. Scenario number two is something that I hope never happens. Is that we pull into the parking lot next Sunday morning... And we find that our meeting place, our building, is on fire. There's smoke everywhere. The flames are ascending to the top of the roof and the building is burning down. Maybe the ceiling has already started to collapse. What are we going to do now? Everybody, we're all standing around. We're really concerned about that. What are we going to do? Where are we going to meet? Where are we going to be able to assemble so that we can worship God? This is a big group. And, you know, just going to somebody's house and assembling for worship, that's probably kind of out of the question. So where are we going to worship? Now, you might be thinking, I've got those two scenarios there side by side. You might be thinking, well, Josh, those seem very apples and orange to me. You know, those things are entirely different scenarios. You know, a little stain on the carpet. Yeah, we we need to get that taken care of, but there's not a lot of urgency to take care of that. That's not that big of a deal. But on the other hand, if the building is on fire, that's a huge deal. That requires immediate attention. We need to get that fixed immediately. We need to solve that problem right away. I'm going to suggest to you this evening that when a church does not have elders that that circumstance is more closely akin to the second scenario than it is to that first scenario. I'm going to say to you this evening that I believe that we, we are that burning building. We are a defective church. Now, that may sound like kind of a harsh thing to say, but in actuality, it's a biblical thing to say. In the passage that we just read in Titus chapter 1, Paul tells Titus in verse 5, he says, set in order what is lacking or what is wanting. And the way you do that is by appointing elders in the congregations according to the instructions that I'm going to give you in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. Some translations translate verse 5 as complete what was unfinished in those churches. And one translation says, set right what is defective. Folks... That's us. We are right smack dab in the middle of verse 5. We are lacking. We are wanting. We are unfinished. We are defective. You take your pick of which translation you prefer. In fact, if a church with qualified elders, if that's what makes us in order, then by necessity what that means is that means that a church without elders is 
out of order. And my job this evening, in this first lesson, is really going to be quite simple. And that is to convince and to compel you that when the building is on fire, folks, that's go time. That is the time to take action. I want to break all of us from this delusion that, you know, being an elderless congregation, it really isn't that bad. It's kind of like having the stain on the floor. Yeah, we'll take care of that, but we don't need to worry about that right now. No, this is the Lord's church. And if the Lord says in Titus 1 verse 5 that we are deficient, if we are lacking in some way, if we are broken in some way, then we need to set about the task of repairing what is broken. And I believe that with the help of God, I believe that we can. And in fact, I believe that we will. And that is why this evening I want to begin this series of lessons by simply just taking a brief journey through the New Testament to see what God wants and to see what God expects for His church to be. And I believe the clearer that we see the gap between what we are and what God wants us to be, the more clear we're able to see all of that, I think the more we will be motivated to close that gap so that we can be complete and we can be whole and not be in a state of disrepair. Instead, we can be like those churches that we read about in the pages of the New Testament. I have to give credit to my brother Eddie Pagan. I contacted him earlier this week and Brother Eddie had presented some material along these lines that I just found very, very helpful. And I'm sharing many of his ideas this evening with his blessing and I'm mixing those with some of my own ideas to help us get started in thinking in this direction if we're not already thinking in that direction. Let's start all of that this evening in Acts the second chapter. Because what I'd really like to do is I'd like to just do a brief survey of that first local church, that church that we read about in Jerusalem. And let's see, as we look at this Jerusalem church, this is probably the one local church in the New Testament that we know more more about this church than any other. There's more written about it. Let's see from this church the importance of leadership within the congregation. And let's see how God intended for there to be leadership in His church, even from the very beginning. And so, for example, in Acts chapter 2, we have the record of the Jerusalem church being established. The time is the day of Pentecost. 3,000 souls have responded to the gospel in the waters of baptism. It provides just an amazing start to this spiritual family. I want you to notice in verse 42 that the Bible says that these new Christians, they devoted themselves, of course, to the worship of God. We talked about some of that this morning. But notice specifically, Acts 2 verse 42 says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That clues us in very early on that the fact that this church was overseen and they were led by the apostles. And that ought to make sense to us. Jesus, of course, had been preparing those 12 guys for this very kind of thing, this important work. These men were inspired by the Holy Spirit. These men had spiritual gifts that other people did not possess. These guys are the ones, Peter and the eleven, beginning in verse 14, they're the ones who stand up and they preach that sermon and lay out God's perfect plan for redemption and for salvation. And so the direction and the instruction that the apostles provided to that first group of believers was absolutely paramount. And that is evidence when you keep reading through the next several chapters of Acts. In chapter 3, what do we find? We find that the people are looking. They're running to Peter and John, Acts 3 verse 11. They just gravitated to the things, the wonders that the apostles did and the words that these people spoke. 
In chapter 4, we find as well that there was a need that arose amongst that church at Jerusalem. There were some needy saints amongst their number. And so what did the people do about that? Well, the people began to sell their own property and they brought those proceeds and where did they bring them to? They brought them to the feet of the apostles, verse 35 says. Why would they do that? I think it's because they saw these men as leaders. These are men that they knew they could trust. These are men that they knew would be responsible in distributing those funds in a fair and equitable way. In chapter 5, In chapter 5, we find that the congregation seemingly was kind of almost frightened by Peter and the rest of these men. And I say frightened not really in in a terrified, quaking in their boots sense, but more in a reverent fear sense. After the episode had taken place with Ananias and Sapphira and Peter spoke those words and both those folks dropped dead, I think people saw the power that these men possessed. And as a result, verse 13 says that they held the apostles in high esteem, very high esteem. In chapter 6, though, the Jerusalem church starts to run into some trouble. There's some growing pains that happen. As some of the Grecian widows come to find out they're being neglected, they're being overlooked, they're not being taken care of. And so this complaint, it comes to the ears and to the attention of the apostles. And what do the apostles do? Well, the apostles, as all good leaders do, instead of just taking that problem on to themselves, the apostles begin to delegate, begin to find some people that could be delegated to take care of that duty. And so they bring the church together and the whole church comes together and they decide we're going to pick seven guys who meet certain qualifications and they're going to take care of this specific duty. This is probably where we get the idea of the very first deacons in the Lord's church. Then in chapter 9, in chapter 9, Paul, still Saul at this point, he's a Christian now, and he attempts to come and join himself to the disciples in Jerusalem and most of the brethren there, they're reluctant and they're skeptical about that. Well, what's Saul going to do? Well, what happens is, is Barnabas brings Saul to the apostles, verse 27 says, and they then welcome him into that fellowship. And from that point forward, he was then accepted as being a part of that church there in Jerusalem. You see, it was the apostles who kind of set the tone for everybody else so that they would know, hey, you can trust this guy. He's a brother in Christ. Now, what we see here thus far is that here during these early weeks or maybe the early months of the Jerusalem church, that the apostles had the clear role of leadership. And the people in that church, they recognized them, they looked at them as being the leaders. But then something kind of begins to change around the time we get to chapter 11. Because in Acts chapter 11, for the very first time, at least in the history of the Jerusalem church, there's a mention of elders in that church. We're told in Acts chapter 11 that the church in Antioch, they sent relief to those needy saints in Jerusalem... And verse 30 says that they sent it by Paul and Barnabas to the elders in Jerusalem. We now have elders in place. They've been appointed in that congregation. And that's interesting because when chapter 15 comes around, when the question of Gentile circumcision comes up, and it kind of starts to cause a stir amongst the brotherhood, we read that Paul and Barnabas and the rest of the delegation that had been appointed, they went up to Jerusalem, Acts 15, verse 2, and notice that this question was brought not just to the apostles, but this question was brought to the apostles and the elders. What we are seeing now is that the apostles and the elders... They're working side by side to some degree. They are sharing in this role of leadership here in the church at Jerusalem. Apostolic leadership is starting to give way to local church elderships. 
In fact, verse 6 emphasizes the point again that apostles and elders, they considered this matter together. In fact, you drop down to verse 22, and it says not only did the apostles and elders discuss this over in some you know back, dark, smoke-filled room by themselves. No. It says the whole church was brought together. And I'm going to come back to that point in verse 22 in just a few moments. But it is clear that this church in Jerusalem, not only are they looking to the apostles as being leaders, but now they're looking to these men who had been appointed as elders as leaders within the congregation. That all then leads to chapter 21 in Acts, where we find Paul returning to Jerusalem at the end of his third missionary journey. And when he arrives there, he is meted, uh, he's greeted by James. That's not James the Apostle. James the Apostle is already dead at this point. This is probably James the brother of Jesus. He's greeted by James and by the elders. And so now what we are seeing is we are seeing only the elders being mentioned as the leaders in that church. They receive Paul. They discuss with him the role that they want him to have and the needs that are going on there in Jerusalem. And here's how we want to put you to work now that you're back in Jerusalem. Now, put all that together. What are we seeing here? What we're seeing, first of all, is that the church was governed and it was led first by the apostles. Those men that Jesus had chosen to be His ambassadors, to spread His gospel and to spread His kingdom to every corner of the globe. Then we start to see that elders begin to be incorporated into that mix. They're working alongside the apostles at least for a period of time there. Until finally, it would appear that it is just primarily the elders who are leading and shepherding that church. Most scholars tend to believe that by this particular point, most of the apostles, they were now traveling to different parts of the globe. They're fulfilling the Great Commission, the very thing that Jesus had commissioned them to do, to go into all the world and to spread the gospel. And so it was necessary at this point for the Jerusalem church to have elders as their leaders. Now, somebody might say, okay, Josh, well, well, that's one church. I see that. I see that in the Jerusalem church model. What about all those other churches that we read about in the New Testament? There's lots of other churches mentioned in the New Testament. What about those churches like in the regions of Asia Minor, some of these other places? There's lots of churches mentioned in the New Testament. What about them? Well, if you're still in Acts, I can actually give you a verse that actually is going to cover a lot of ground for us. Look in Acts 14. In Acts chapter 14, this is during that first missionary journey. And we are told in verse 23 about the work that Paul and Barnabas were doing. In Acts 14... And in verse 23, the Bible says that when they had appointed elders, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting they commended in the Lord in whom they had believed. Notice that expression, elders in every church. This is likely referring to the churches that were in that particular region, the region of Galatia, to whom the Galatian letter was later written to a number of congregations. And these are churches that, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, had only been in existence for a few weeks, maybe a few months at the most. These are congregations that Paul and Barnabas had established when they came through that area the first time around. But now they're kind of retracing their steps and they're going back to those places. And now, at the end of this trip, they are establishing elders in each of those congregations. Now, I recognize that the Christians in those congregations, while they would be relatively young as far as their faith in Jesus Christ, most of these people had come from Judaism, which means they had some kind of a, a basis in God and in what the Old Testament taught. These are people who you know, didn't know anything about God. No, they knew some stuff about God. But it is also true that these are people who 
They only just recently learned and accepted and responded to the truth about Jesus as the Messiah, the prophesied one. And I think that's important to point out. I think that ought to say something to us about sometimes the kind of unrealistic expectations that we end up placing upon a man who might be considered to serve in the role as an elder. These elders that are appointed in Acts 14, verse 23, these are not veteran Christians. These are not people who know everything there is to know about the Bible. I'm just asking you to kind of just file that away in the back of your mind. In Acts chapter 20, it's not just Acts 14. Acts chapter 20, after Paul had passed through Ephesus, in my Sunday morning class, we've been studying right here where Paul is working in Ephesus, spent some time working in that city. But when he comes back that way, he calls the elders of the church in Ephesus to meet with him at Miletus, Acts 20 and verse 17. And so here's Ephesus. Here's this big large port city. Likely could have been a large congregation. They now are under the oversight of elders. In Philippians now, as we turn to the epistles, in Philippians chapter 1 and in verse 1, Paul begins that letter to Philippi with a greeting to whom? He says, grace be to you, to the overseers, the elders and the deacons of that church. That church in Philippi had elders and deacons and saints. And we know as well, I'll add to that list, we know as well from Peter's epistle that the recipients of his letter were a church or churches that had elders. Now, we don't know exactly what church or what churches that was addressed to, but in chapter 5 and verse 1 of 1 Peter, Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Peter, as he writes that, seems to be operating under the assumption that every church where this letter was going to be brought and every church where this letter would be read, Peter seems to assume that that church is going to have elders. And then, of course, there is the passage that we began with in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, where Paul says to Titus, I left you in Crete for the purpose of appointing elders in every city. Emphasis once again on that word, every. Now, you put all of this together, and what I believe you find is I believe you find that every single church in the New Testament either had elders or were in the process of appointing and establishing elders. You just take a look at this list of passages. There's probably others that I'm just not thinking of. But you look at this list of passages, and you want to know what that's called? What that's called, my friends, is a pattern. We understand about patterns, don't we? That when you see something in Scripture over and over and over again, sometimes you just see something two or three times, that's a pattern. we got way more than two or three. We're seeing this you know, a dozen, a dozen and a half times over and over again. Is that not a clear sign that this is something that God is saying, this is what I want, this is my expectation, this is my will? I, I think we get the concept of patterns, don't we? Think about it, we've come together this morning and this evening, and the worship that we've been involved in, that wasn't just you know worship stuff that we just kind of decided on our own, was it? No. What happened was, was we studied the Scriptures, and we saw some things going on in there, some worshipful things happening in there. We come to realize what it is that the early Christians did, and so we're just trying to follow that pattern. We understand about patterns. In the same way, God has laid out a clear pattern for the organization of His church. And that pattern includes elders who shepherd the flock that is among them. And so if we all nod our head and we all say, yep, that's the pattern. Josh, thank you so much. Boy, that's some good good doctrine you put out there. 
That's a good pattern there. We all say, yep, that's the pattern that God wants. My question then is, what does God want for Lakeside? What does God want for us? What does God expect of this local church? It's pretty clear, isn't it? God expects that this church will follow His pattern. That is God's will for this congregation. And so as I go back to those two hypothetical scenarios that I began with a few moments ago, do you want a carpet that has a big giant stain on it? Well, no. None of us want that. But let me ask you, how important is it that we have unstained carpet in order for us to be able to come together and assemble and worship God. Yeah, it's not really that big of a deal. That's not the kind of thing that if we don't correct it right away, that it's going to make a difference in somebody's eternity. But how important is it on the other hand, to have a building, to have a place that we can meet and assemble and worship in? Well, that's pretty important. I talked this morning at length about worship and how important that is. In God's estimation, that's a pretty high priority. Well, I'm saying to you this evening, actually God's Word is saying to us this evening, that a church having elders is of very high priority. And what the Lord wants to know, what I want to know, is how desperate are we to put out that fire? We know what God wants. We've already seen it, looking through Acts and looking through the other passage in the New Testament. We know what God expects. And so if we are not meeting those expectations, should there not be a sense of urgency to take care of that deficiency? I'll ask it this way, the question there at the bottom of the screen. If God is not pleased, if we're not meeting His will and His pattern and His standard, can we really be comfortable? I'm... Stop and just, I want you to think about that for a minute. Knowing that we have not met God's expectations, can we really be comfortable? The answer to that question really ought to be obvious to all of us. I think all of us should feel a certain level of discomfort when we think about our present state and our present condition as a congregation. Which leads me to what I really, really want to say this evening. And that is to say that we must not be satisfied with being where we are right now. We cannot and we must not be content with being organized in some form and in some fashion other than the biblical pattern and the biblical model. You know, throughout my life, I have heard this expression, and I'm going to guess that probably a few of you have heard this as well. Have you heard this before? It's better for a church to have no elders than to have a church with unqualified elders. Have you heard that before? That's not a quotation from the Bible, but I'll say this. I can get on board with that. I don't disagree with that. I actually, I think there's some truth in that. But can I ask you this? Is it better to be inside of a burning building or to be standing outside in the freezing rain? I guess that it's better to be out in the freezing rain. It's less bad to be out in the freezing rain. But you know what? If you stand out in the freezing rain long enough, eventually you're going to get sick. And eventually you're going to die. 
And I've got to tell you that the problem that I have with this little phrase and one-liners like it, this idea that it's better to not have elders at all than to have a bunch of unqualified elders, is that it almost gives the suggestion that one is good and the other is bad. I'm suggesting to you this evening that both are bad. Neither one of them are good. Neither scenario is God's will for this church. Which is why we need to get it just fixed and locked in our minds right now that we're not going to be satisfied with the lesser of two evils. You hear that all the time. You choose the lesser of two evils. Folks, that ain't in the Bible. The Bible says not a word about choosing the lesser of two evils. Instead, God says to flee from all evil, to pursue the things that are good and the things that are right. And so what's the good thing to do? What's the right thing to do in a congregation that has no elders? Well, the right thing to do is to be proactive. We need to be proactive. We need to be growing and developing and establishing an eldership that meets God's qualifications and God's expectations. Again, I'll say it. God wants every church to have elders. You know, if there's something that the Scripture says that I personally need to be doing, I don't know about you, but... I usually don't just sit around and do nothing. If I read something in the Word of God, that this is what God wants, this is His expectation, this is the thing that He wants for my life, I don't just sit around idle about that. I'm going to get up and I'm going to get to work on that. That's the only way that I'm going to be able to please my Lord is by bringing my life into conformity with His will. And as much as that is true for all of us on an individual basis, this evening I'm telling you with this... It is true also on a congregational level. And yet the temptation all too often is for us to not be proactive. The temptation is for us to kind of look around. Hey, look at this building tonight. It's pretty full in here, isn't it? I mean, come on. We're doing pretty good. It's been, if I'm doing my math correctly, it's been about ten years Since this congregation had elders. There was a period between 2005 and 2008 when this congregation did have elders. But it's been about ten years since this congregation has had elders. So it's easy to kind of look around and say, well, we seem to be doing pretty good. Grown a lot in the number. Grown a lot in the faith. Those are things that Brother Mike always appreciate that he prays for in our prayers. We're doing good. And it's really easy for us to slip into that mindset. Hey, seems that, you know, whatever it is that we are doing, it seems to be working out okay. And I mean, think about all of the other kind of alternatives and the things that we plug in to fill that gap. Think about the men's business meeting model. I know that's nobody's favorite thing, but hey, seems to be working. We're doing okay. Can I say something about that men's business meeting thing? You remember when we looked at those verses earlier in Acts 6 and in Acts 15? Those are actually the only two occasions that I'm aware of of any kind of a business meeting And the two qualities about both of those business meetings are this. Number one, the apostles were the ones who called the meeting. And number two, it wasn't just the men in those meetings. The whole church came together to discuss those things. I'm not saying that we're committing sin or we're doing something unscriptural by having men's meetings. But what I am saying is I'm saying we're not meeting God's will. We're not doing what the Lord has said that He wanted. Or what happens sometimes in congregations. We kind of get satisfied and we get to resting on our laurels and we just kind of leave stuff up to the preacher. And as a result, what ends up happening, and this is why this is so prevalent in the denominational world, is you end up building the pastor model. That the preacher is the pastor. 
And He's the guy who's kind of the lead dog. And He's the one that's initiating everything. And He's the one that's kind of in charge. And He's getting everybody riled up and stirred up. And while I understand that there is some overlap in the role of a preacher, in the role of an elder, we'll look at some of that when we start talking about the qualifications, I want you to know very clearly this evening, I am not the pastor. I ain't ever going to be the pastor. That's not biblical. That's not right. Sometimes we can get to thinking that even if we don't vocalize it in that way. We can tell ourselves, hey, look, this congregation's been in existence for over 20 years now, and you know what? For the majority of that time, we've done pretty good without them. That is the wrong way of thinking. That is not God's will. That is not what God's want. Let me show you what God wants. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 11... What God shows us is God shows us that when we are fully and completely equipped the way that He wants His church to be, the church can accomplish so much more. In Ephesians 5 or 4, beginning in verse 11, Paul says this, this wonderful book that says so much about the church. He says in verse 11 that the Lord gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers... For what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every part with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I recognize that we today, we do not have apostles and we do not have prophets the way that they did in first century times. Those apostles and those prophets served a very important function. They helped to reveal the Word of God and explain the Word of God as that Word was still in the revelation process. We do still have the words of those apostles and those prophets today, and so we gain from that. But look at those last few things that are mentioned. The fact that we have evangelists, those who preach the Word. The fact that we have teachers, those who are equipped to be able to teach and instruct people in the way of God. And that the church would have shepherds. It's one of those great descriptions that is given in the Bible of the work of an elder. And God says when you have all of that together, when all of that is in place, then the church can be so much more. It can accomplish so much more than it would without them. In fact, what can happen when we have all of that is we can have what God wants. We can have what God expects. We can have what truly pleases the Lord. Now, where do we go from here? Well, let me give you a little bit of a game plan as to what's going to happen. Beginning this Wednesday night in the auditorium Bible class for the adults, uh, we're going to begin a study of local church leadership, elders and deacons, and talking about that from all the various facets. My dad was, was asked specifically by the men here if he would be the one to lead and uh, kind of head up that discussion for this next quarter. And so for the next three months on Wednesday nights, if you're not teaching a class downstairs like, like I'm going to be, and I know that's going to be the case for a couple of you all, but if you're not teaching a class downstairs, you need to be here on Wednesday nights 
to discuss and to study and to think about what the Bible says about this. Over the course of these next three months as well, I'm also going to be doing some preaching, and that's going to be certainly for the benefit of myself and others who are not going to be able to be in that Wednesday night class, and maybe even try to talk about some things that maybe don't get discussed uh, in that particular class. My plan is to not preach on this every single week. My fear, and I know of some guys that when they preach on elders, they end up preaching on this like 12 lessons over the course of the next six weeks, and I'm afraid that that's just... It's just too much. It can be overload and we don't allow these ideas to breathe and to fester and to germinate in our minds. I'm probably thinking once every couple of weeks or so. I'm probably going to keep that on Sunday nights for the benefit especially of our our core group here at Lakeside. But that's what you can expect. And as well, I'm going to tell you, I really want to encourage that there's going to be some discussion amongst us. Don't just let me or my dad have the last word on all this stuff. My hope is that while we're in the foyer, or when we're out to eat, or when we're spending time with one another, and we're we're in each other's homes, we're going to be talking about these things. And not just even talking about them in abstract, general terms. Let's talk about those things for us. How they relate to this group here and to the people that we have here. Let's be fostering the kind of environment that makes it clear, man, we're being proactive about this. We're not just letting this just lay idle and all of a sudden one day we're going to appoint elders. No! We're working on this now. We're talking about it. We're thinking about it. We're studying about it. Doing everything that we can so that no longer will we be considered a defective church. I long for and I pray for and I desire that day when we can take the out of order sign off the front of the church building and we can be a church that is in order, the kind that pleases God, being the kind of church that God wants. You've listened very well this evening, and I'm very appreciative of that. And if I've made you uncomfortable, I'm not going to necessarily apologize about that, because if I've made us uncomfortable about things that we need to be made uncomfortable about, then, then that's a good thing. However, if you are sitting here this evening, and you are uncomfortable due to the fact that you're not in a right relationship with God, that you are not a part of the church that you read about in the New Testament, then you probably should feel uncomfortable. You should feel very uncomfortable. The good news is you can do something about that discomfort. You can do something about that right now. Because in just a moment we're going to stand and we're going to sing the song that Luke has selected as a song of invitation. We're going to sing that song to encourage you and encourage all of us to think about our standing before the Lord. Am I in a right relationship with Him? If you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, this is an opportunity to do that. If you just got questions about what God says about salvation and you're trying to figure all that out, it's an invitation to do that as well. Brother or sister, if there's some repenting that needs to happen in your life, this is an invitation as well for you to repent. If you need to call upon your brethren here to pray with you and encourage you, this is your moment and your time. Whatever your need may be, you simply need to let it be known. You can do that right now while we stand and while we sing.